This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I slept, but the poise was pitching. We were all dining in a tree. We were dream natives. We were aroused. A sensation seized me during the time of something meaningless and unexpected. A sensation of the unusual spell cast by everything on earth without exception. I knew I couldn't help but miss some things in life. But I shouldn't do so in sleep by making my own decisions. Anything could come to me. Sleep itself. I could be defenseless satiated, metamorphosed, pitched. Time itself would provide an uprising of interests and alterations and defenses. So time is dream, and we can be switched. Sleep might be the other on which my eyes are fixed. And even now, I can't relinquish my sensation of that something persistent, my recalcitrant great pleasure in feeling both the passage and the fullness of time. I am writing now in preconceptions, those of sex and ropes. Many frantic cruelties occur to the flesh of the imagination, and the imagination does have flesh to destroy, and the flesh has imagination to sever. The mouth is just a body filled with imagination. Can you imagine its contents, the dripping into a bucket, and its acts, the ellipses and chaining apart, the feather, the observer? The imagination, bare, has nothing to confirm it. There's just the singing of the birds, the sounds of the natural scream. The imagination wishes to be embraced by freedom. It is laid bare in order to be desired. But the imagination must keep track of the flesh responding, its increments of awareness, a slow progression. It must be beautiful, and it can't be free. Sleep requires a lot of space, the justice and autonomy of one. Here's a nocturnal discovery. Asleep, we are carnally irate. Our sleep has no conclusion. Our sleep is made of words. The library of decisions is the mind. Then we dream to become encyclopedic. A sky of words and words of planes. A heaven of grounds and preparation. The thoroughness of sleep is great. It is enthusiastic, austere, and strong. It is stranger than habit and than obsession. Sleep is as abundant as the world is incomplete. There is sleep always to recognize. One sleep is a rolling burial. Another is a badger's hole or something arithmetical, the rhythm between sounds, or a judgment that is made, a place inordinate or blank, and then another place added to increase the consequence that everything exists. Oh no, here comes, oh boy, oh ho, oh my God, okay, off we go. (laughs) (laughs) The 23rd night was very dark, it was cold, 
My eyes were drawn to the window. I thought I saw a turtle dove nesting on a waffle. Then I saw it was a rat doing something awful. But anarchy doesn't bother me now any more than it used to. I thought I saw a woman writing verses on a bottle. Then I saw it was a foot stepping on the throttle. But naturally, freedom can be understood in many different ways. I thought I saw a fireman hosing down some straw. Then I saw it was a horse grazing in a draw. But it's always the case that in their struggle to survive, the animate must be aided. I thought I saw a rhubarb pie sitting on the stove. Then I saw it was the tide receding from a cove. But although I have strong emotions when I watch a movie, jealousy is never one of them. I thought I saw a bicyclist racing down the road. Then I saw it was a note, a message, still in code. But sense is always either being raised to or lowered from the sky. I thought I saw a gourmet chef smear himself with cream. Then I saw it was myself just entering a dream. But we all know that the imagination, when left to itself, will brave anything. There was once a woman who waited for sleep, but it was away at war. Sleep didn't return. On the pillow, there were only her own dark hairs. Each morning, the sky was devastated by light. As soon as this was so, she left her bed without sleep. Sleep used to come for only a short space and time, but without illusion. Now there is only illusion, dreams and heads. This is already endless. The woman, panting, turns in her room, thinking of sleep. Thousands of moths raising dust from their wings flutter and crawl over the glossy black surface of the sky, leaving pale smudges. Moths gather at a blind dream for settled sleeplessness. The woman remembers heat, the body of sleep, its chest, its breath. But sleep is at war. Sleepy, sleep only embraces antagonists. Overlapping is all that lasts. The ghost of everything else occurs in a flash. Off in the distance, sleep roars. Here we begin. Stop. Study the human mind. She's gone. I see nothing when she moves the mind from within. She must mean the light to be right. That's not an anthropological view. It's not a hand. Then is this a case of fantasy passing act through impasse? Both. Temptation leaps to the corridors. Chaos keeps to control. Narration rings story on story. The mechanisms pulling. The events occur in relay. The coinciding is displaced and delayed. And the observer asks only that things continue. The observer governs. Don't stop. The picture appears suddenly in its entirety. It begins nowhere, and I'm faced with it. I'm against the wall, opposite, facing an audience, and replying to the many objections that the audience is lodging against existentialism. The picture raises no such objections, being ridiculous in its own right. It is there by virtue of a mere fluke, with silent placidity. The picture is of a cow, then? I have to turn away. 
a cow, then? There's a cow on a board? Board, certainly, but no cow. And we term that a picture? That it's of a cow rather than a battle is not a disappointment. Life needs PR, an advertising campaign, promotion, encouraging slogans, live it, bovines. <laughs> I neglect to do battle willingly out of cowardice. I'm avaricious. I want a picture. I would settle for a picture of the picture. Once there was a yellow fortress which stood on an island between the shores of a cold gray river running through an ancient city. In fact, it is there still. The walls of the fortress run straight down to the water, and in the fortress are many empty rooms. At the moment, the river is swollen and turbulent. War has caused heavy rains, and many citizens are mournfully swimming. Among them is a woman in a red blouse. She is trying to hold a canary in a birdcage at the end of a long stick above the flood. Another younger woman in a blue cap is holding onto an inner tube with one hand and attempting with the other to paddle with a pot. The river is cold and public. Soldiers manning the fortress walls have been equipped with black rubber bows that are easy to draw, but their wilted, floppy arrows droop harmlessly from the bows. The authorities are sacrificing everyone. In such a situation, sleep is impossible. Many women, as the war began, wanted to protest, and gathering together they did, pointing out the arbitrariness of battle, the inadequacy of the battle plans, the laughable positioning of the weapons, the pathetic brevity of the outcomes of all the events. While demanding their right to eat, to peace, to sex, to dress, to dream, to sleep, they were forced to applaud as the warships retook the sea. A dream may be a city without citizens, but it has a river to maintain. In the end, the soldiers entered the beds of the women and turned over and over, or the women did, or the women turned the men. No one could interrupt this alone, and yet it still wasn't sleep. When we want something, we have to reckon with probabilities, watching for repetitions, observing rocks causing ripples in the stream of consciousness occurring over sand and submerged things in the shallows where our best hope of finding what we want lies to tell the truth, where we care the least, hear world, see whirl, while saying who we are, hardly worth mentioning, say chicken licken seizes power, if not legally, then at least to the degree that her fear obliges her friends passerby. Are you pleased by it? Farmer, are they doing all their tasks as required? Turkey lurkey, run goosey loosey, or Lucy, froggy boggy, are you sad? Don't be sad. Why are you sad? Toady roadie, jump snaky shaky. <laughs> Sluggy wuggy keeps her cool between the long leaves of the irises growing along the edge of the path. 
gecko flecko with ready tongue basks in warm gray sand, listening for bugs. Suddenly, as an incoming missile explodes, the gray horse Shadow, the brown horse Duke, the black horse Prince, and the sorrel horse Rondo, in terror, stampede blindly. Run, bunny money, shouts Piggy Jiggy. Run, sheepy sleepy, weeps goaty throaty. Because sorrow and anger are very much the same as animals when we are misled at a frantic pace into a completely impossible, implausible situation. (laughs) Below the hill are muscled roofs and red tins in which nesting birds pitch. But let me tell you something. Nobody's putting conclusions around my life. If only that were true. (laughs) A stream of particulars, a stream of abstractions and wicked geese. The wicked geese hoot, their feet caught in the ice. A fisherman blows his nose into his palm. A sugar beet floats in a dented pot. For the third time in a month, we've called the fireman. He arrives with a yellow flashlight. Surreptitiously, I lean against the fireman. Then step aside. I will think about this later, afterwards. The thought will be long. It will wind through ten events. An event is something that has some social or ethical quality, forms a narrative of compelling interest, and exhibits awakening subtleties. A philharmonic group of girls spins around a pole. This is probably a show of nerves. A line of ants crawls along the crumbling edge of newly spread black macadam in the playground. That's the whole picture. I wake. I wait to remember my dream, which would be dull to anyone else, but which could remind me of the stimulating day, the day that inspired it. There are details to that day I hadn't noticed during it. Something resulting in a rainbow or a ratio an intransigence, a logic. In the dream, I sailed, stole, stalled, was jailed. My companion, a scientist, described his impressions and analyzed what we'd experienced much better than I could have done. I remember that an intricate corral held the shipboard animals. They were shaded by the dense and sturdy sails. Overhead birds, which in real life would be called terns, but there were called tongs, passed over our embraces. We followed them with our binoculars. We identified them and characterized them as desperately casting Plato's shadows. An entire day went by. The circumstances remained under erotic analysis, dreamed in self-defense. But that only means that the situation with its shifting expectations will begin again. There was once a boy, and he had a younger brother who was mournful. The older boy put a silver saddle on his horse one day, and mounting the horse, turned to the younger and said, Sam, you've won. A thief behind a tree nearby overheard this and said to himself, By tomorrow at this time it will be I who have won. But he was mistaken, as mournfulness cannot be acquired in a day. There was once a poor man who was hungry all the time. How dare you? How dare you? He shouted out the window to people hurrying to the shops on the street below. But experience of disappointment cannot be taught, and the people were deaf to his queries then, 
just as they are now. There was once a sailor who had so many nicknames, he no longer remembered what it was he should properly be called. He sat in the dark and gazed at the sea until his eyes ached, and he wondered why the sea, which resembled an eye, never gazed back at him. But heroic efforts often fail, perhaps because emotion is often a poor teacher. There was once a princess who longed to be a cowboy, but by virtue of her sex she was kept in the house without any shoes. I'm no more dangerous than a mouse, she said one morning to the miller, who simply pointed to the baited mouse traps with which he protected the flour produced at his mill. Yes, restlessness is a characteristic of human existence, and neither travel nor rapacity can exhaust it. There was once an astronomer who earned his living by promising glory to the king. On weekends, he sat quietly with his daughter doing math. Efficiency, he told her, is best served by contemplation. Now that was an excellent astronomer, and he is admired in pedagogical circles even today as a man who prepared for every lesson in advance. There was once a doctor who had a kind heart and long fingers, and he lived by himself in a room over a bakery. Everyone likes you plump and warm, the doctor would say to each of his patients, which was just what he heard the baker saying to his muffins as he took them from their tins. And so we see that to a reader in communication with a writer, more and more information is made available. That doctor was a rogue. Moral one, we are never the worse for our dreams, and a nightmare should not always be taken as a sign of a bad conscience. Moral two, serenity can be achieved through fussiness, although probably only for the fussy. Moral three, (laughs) true justice is never abstract and should therefore not be blindfolded. That's what we can learn from these tales and from other tales, too. I'm assuming everybody knows the Scheherazade backstory, right? That she tells these tales to a uh, misogynist, murderous uh, shah, Uh, And in the course of the Thousand and One Nights, she re-educates him, and he becomes a benevolent ruler. Um, Basically, he's instructed through her artistry. Um, She also bears to him two children, which he doesn't notice until the Thousand and First Night, when she brings them in and introduces them to him. A curious um, anomaly in the tale. But miracles happen. What is this turbulent, turbulent moment from which I can't detach myself. The great fact of thinking is dawn, but that's when I repeat myself. Before dissociation ends, the sunlight flares. Thoughts are leaping from a body that's a mere obstacle to it. Tragedy's wisdom gives way to comedy's heroics. What's left is an awful calm, and the laundry in its basket on the path. I can feel my chin become another person's chin. I watch the spoon as it rises, then I experience my hands, but who is using them? There's no universe. The universal is an hallucinogen. What shared life offers is reality, but the only thing my perceptions of it provide are little bits of additional evidence. And though making sense of mute things is a normal thing for language to do, 
by unnecessarily elaborating the truth to make my story better than it is, I'm using language for defense. People say that's evidence of systematic cheating. That's absurd. I give my eyes to the horse and receive his in return to see out of. A woman is expressing sympathy with a television character who is weeping and trapped. She is attempting to pummel and scratch her way through a grim, inconsiderate crowd as the woman dolefully frowns. She leans forward slightly. It's an upsetting situation, but a woman should imitate the facial expressions of strangers in order to understand them, though nothing's resolved even them. It's just a premonition of the feelings she's to have, as she has them taken from the world from a real actor who has just shattered the windows of a new gray Honda sedan parked in the sun in order to get air to a gasping dog mournfully pressing itself against the door of the car on the driver's side. Sympathy requires terrific optimism, bravado, and therefore paranoia. Already I regret having singled that woman out. Walking around, posing, entering conversations, proposing, events are staged carefully, artfully, tentatively, and relentlessly, though the stage is a little one in a theater maintained exclusively for magnificent premieres of consciousness whose adagios are long and always in the middle, while the allegros promising jollity, telling lies all around, feature virtuosic bits whose Caribbean, Basque, or Romani origins can be heard in the striking of the clock from which the cowboy drinks a hurricane, the horse drinks from the lake a blue that's gray or green, and may be reproduced by mixing Dr. P.H. Martin's radiant concentrated slate blue number 22B, with his or her radiant concentrated saddle brown, number 13A. But that's mere speculation as I'm writing this, pretending to be a filmmaker, cinematically making things unfold, not gradually, but all at once, like a letter folded in thirds, taken from an envelope, and opened in two seconds, its message divulged, your insurance premiums are going up, or it's time to renew your membership in the NAACP, or my name is Philip and I am offering you an opportunity to which I will not wake, but stare disconsolately at the window or out it at the blowing leaves on the light green tree that cheers me up. So I get up and go into a room, which is a robe left by an aerialist now on high in flesh-colored tights, swinging and swaying and swooping now back to earth where her mask of being unmasked must be masked because she still looks naked and feels it around the midriff and in her butt on which she bounces back home again after a day at a circus. What a circus. <laughs> Philosophy should not be hostile to the eyes. The eyes project variety of character and possess laws of organization that defy rigidity. Philosophy is like the ear, its standards set to stillness, quiet. Every sound represents shaken forms. But every increment of time or space brings more light to the eyes. And this seems to be the source of the wild joy I feel now 
at being present and assertive. I am talking, caressing, crooning, but I can't calm the gaunt brown horse on the platform at the top of the tall wooden tower. It is lying on its side, thrashing. Its legs are very long, the knees knobby, and writhing. Its neck is long, too, and the expression on its face is one of total despair. It fights to get free. I am holding it around the neck, then I grab at its legs to keep it from throwing itself off the tower. But I am thinking that perhaps now I should let it go, as there's no consoling it. Written descriptions are no more than tickets to the game and view my wasting skin. And love alone can lend you loyalty. Take the movement of the limbs and trunk. The tightrope walker's path is blocked. By chance one day, habitually thereafter, in blast beruffled plume, it is here that a map would come in handy, a fright that only falling bombs could bring about of the sea coming, sea-like, in under the enemy, fascinated by and afraid of the horses, at the annihilation of the enemy and of the enemy's memory, alive enough to have the strength to kill, as a good go-between sees morning harden upon the wall. Your brain is like a lake being splashed by rain. Sleep, little baby, sleep. The droplets spin and spread. Your mind is like a web being blown by wind. Sleep, little baby, sleep. Someone's at home in your head. I think I'll end with this one. Well, we'll see. It's a short one. I am a failed fire chief. I am a failed thief. Didn't I fail at the wrong thing? Aren't I a failure at failure? Failure is inevitable. I am a fan of failure. I am a failure flailed by failure. I leap into failure. I relish the self-pity that's produced by the self-loathing that comes as a consequence of failure. The sauce has curdled. The meat is tough. The custard is runny. The meal is a failure. Failure is the offshoot of argument But then failure occurs, too, from a lack of it. Moral failure, financial failure, social failure, heart failure, liver failure, failure to thrive. Failure is familiar. I'm faking failure. I'm reconciled to failure. Failure has a certain allure. I'm quick at failure. I'm clumsy at failure. It's said that girls are failed males. There's been many a worse failure. Failure clings like gum to the shoe. I set about forging failure. Failure. (laughs) I fit failure and failure fits me. A guy fails and is pursued by that failure. One could succeed and thereby fail. Every painter fails. Every parent fails. I failed to dot an I. I failed by failing to tell a failure that he'd failed. Honesty fails. Dishonesty fails. The unprincipled fail without principle. The principled fail to excess. There are whole classes of failure, genres of failure. I'll risk failure. Courting favor, I'll court failure. I failed geology. I failed Greek. I failed to show up when expected on Wednesday. Memory fails. Flags fail. Luck fails. Curls snarl at the failed. 
Families bury the failed. Fail farther, fail fatter, fail in a particular field of endeavor. Failure is succinct and sucks sugar. Failure figures. I am a failed detective, a failed botanist, a failed equestrian. I am a failed mariner. I am an errant failure. So this is what happens to failures. Failure. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.